Jesus, what great words that you rule, you reign, and you are coming back again, that hope that we have, that you sit on the throne, and your purposes cannot be thwarted. You will do what you desire to do. And Lord, as we are here tonight, and we are here to worship you, we pray that you would come down in a special way, that you would draw close to us, and that we might encounter you. We praise you. We thank you. Amen. My name is Derek Richenberg. I am a pastor in Woburn, just a few towns over, uh, at a big congregational church. It's big in size. In other words, it is a huge building. Uh, Not a lot of people, but it is a huge building. It's been around, uh, the church has been around since 1642. Uh, so it's, I'm a, in a long list of pastors that have been before me in this one church. And I remember being with you last year. At this time, I was, my wife and I were expecting. And uh, we now have a wonderful little boy named Samuel. He is a joy. He's 11 months old. And he is running rockets all around the house right now. And he's just hard to keep up with, but it is a joy. It's always nice when he goes to bed at night and my wife and I can just sort of relax a bit and get to know one another a little bit more and just enjoy the night. I was thinking, uh, maybe you've had this experience before. You see a children's sermon, and have you noticed that sometimes the unexpected happens? It it could be an unexpected comment, an unexpected question, or even an unexpected action. That one child will say something, will do something that will cause everyone to stop. To stop and ask, how do I respond? It might be a brilliant question, or it might be just something that's so far-fetched that we don't know what to do. I remember being in my last church. It was about 15 years ago, and there was a boy I knew. He, he's older now, and his name was Tony. And the choir director that day decided that she was going to do the children's sermon. It was all planned out before, but as she got up to do the children's sermon, all the children came up. There was about 25 kids. And she was sitting in the the front pew, and all the kids were sitting on two stairs, two stairs on the stage. And Tony thought this was the best thing ever because Tony could jump off the two top steps onto the bottom. And, of course, this all started happening after his parents went into, back into the pews. They're right in the middle of the pew. And there's Tony. Every time she'd go to say something, he would run and jump off the, the, the top step and land on the bottom and just, you know, laugh and just go do it again, all in front of 250, 300 people. And he was having a great time. We were all wondering, how is she going to respond to this? And the response was, do nothing. Uh, maybe he'll go away. <laughs> Well, a little bit later, she decided that what she was going to do now was to have them sing a song. She's going to teach them a song, and they're going to be like a choir and sing this song. And so Tony got up there, and and he's all up there, and the first thing he does is he leans into his good buddy Jimmy. Jimmy was about four at the time. He had curly red hair, and he leaned into Jimmy, and he burped as loud as he could. (laughs) And everyone's just watching this going, what's going on, and again, she responded by doing nothing. They started singing, and he was liking the beat, so he was swaying along. 
But every time he was swaying along, he'd hit Jimmy. And, and, and he'd really get into it. So he'd get kind of low and just would swing over to Jimmy. And Jimmy's trying to be good. He knows his mother's watching him way over there. And he's realized, he, you know, he, he goes in. But one time, Tony really got him good. Tony came down and he, he, he would really get going. And he went in and Jimmy's down on the floor, you know, surrounded by all these kids. And the kids don't know what to do. They just keep singing along. And there's Tony enjoying himself. Well, Jimmy had older brothers. And Jimmy knew what to do in this situation. <laughs> he wasn't going to take this in any way. And so Jimmy got up. And he got his fist ready. And he had the biggest undercut, uppercut to clock out Tony that you've ever seen. He came up shooting and he fired up at Tony. And Tony was down for the count. I mean, one, two, three, four. And you could see Tony just lying there on the ground thinking, this kid's never going to get up in ten. Well, finally, about five or six seconds pass by, and Tony gets up. And Tony, like, looks around, and he sees Jimmy, and he, ugh, he shakes his head a little bit, and he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he turns to go after Jimmy. And by this time, finally, even though the choir director wasn't going to do anything about this, she wasn't going to respond to this, the deacon came out to stop all of this. And that's when Tony realized that there was 300 people watching. And that there was all these people all there. And finally the parents got out. They were mortified. They didn't know what to do. And, and Tony got back. Well, finally the choir director responded. She thought, we all better get up and start singing to, to calm this situation down. Because Tony at this point was screaming. He knew he was in deep trouble. And so he's crying. Wah! I'll never forget the end of that hymn. It was ended... Amen. And then you hear, <laughs> The legend of Tony Picosi. It wasn't until a year later that uh, Tony's parents were able to talk to me about it. I thought it was, a, I still think it's the funniest story I've ever seen in my life, but they did not think so. Tonight I do not want to talk to you about children's sermons. I don't want to talk to you about Tony, but I, my question to you is a little bit different. It goes along the same lines. How do you respond to God? How do you respond to what God has done in your life? This Encounter with God series for the past month and a half, if you've been reading along, has been reading through the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, Paul is telling that church in Rome how God takes sinners and brings them into a right relationship with him. He talks about how he forgives them, how he gives them faith and that faith justifies them or makes them right before God and then they stand before God as a son or daughter of the king. And my question for you this evening is, what's your answer to God's compassion? If God serves up that serve of love and mercy, what's your return? How do you respond to God's mercy in saving you. In other words, what do you do as a Christian? And the answer to that happened to be on Monday night, or Monday when you were reading, if you were reading Encounter with God, uh, the text was read a little bit before from Romans. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is Paul's answer to how we are to respond to God's mercy. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see the answer to how we respond? The NIV puts it, if you have the NIV, is, in view of God's mercy, do this. And that this that we are to do in quick terms, is to worship. Worship is the general answer to always what we do. All of our life is about worship. It's the number one thing that we were called to do. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, he says that we were created. He says, everyone who was called by my name and whom I've created for my glory when I have formed even whom I have made. What he's saying in Isaiah is that we were created to glorify God. That that is our goal in life. And so Paul says it in Corinthians, he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And finally, as we we just sang, when we go to heaven, we will praise him forever and ever. So the quick answer to the question is worship. That's how we respond to God's mercy. But we can get a little bit more specific than that. Paul says in in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, the way we worship is by offering up our bodies as a sacrifice. Seems right, doesn't it? Paul says in Ephesians that Jesus Christ gave his life as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That as he hung on the cross, he was a sacrifice to God. And God is calling us to be a sacrifice as well. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we're just to throw ourselves and into the street, there's a kid crossing the street and we see the car coming and we throw our, our bodies into the kid, throw the kid on the sidewalk and we get hit by the car? Does it mean like giving a finger, chopping it off and for loyalty's sake? Or What does that mean to sacrifice ourselves? Does it have anything to do with those animal sacrifices? Paul will take verse 2 and explain what that means. In verse 2, he tells us if you will, what it is realistically we do that is that sacrifice that God is asking for. And he says there's a negative thing that we do, there's a positive thing that we do. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What he's saying in verse 2, what he's saying about this way that we sacrifice is that we're to say no to the world. That we're not to conform to this world, to this sphere of influence. But it's not only that. It's that we're to leave this sphere of influence and to go over here 
and to be transformed. Transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. And so there's a negative and there's a positive. We're to say no to the world and yes to God. He starts off by saying, don't be conformed to the world. In other words, this fear of influence shouldn't affect us. This isn't so easy to do. It kind of reminds me of when I went to college. I don't know what was life was like for you in college, but after I left my parents' house and I got into college, something happened to me. I decided that I wanted to live differently. Not that I became holy or anything like that. I don't know. That, but I just realized I'm my own man. I, I, I've sort of broken away from my home, if you will. But something happened. You see, every time I went home, I sort of fell back into that old way of living. <laughs> you know, before, for four months, I was doing laundry, but now it, it's mom's time to do the laundry. I've done enough of it for four months. Uh, no longer was I going to take care of myself. I was just going to jump on the couch and watch TV all night. I was going to fall back into that way of living that I lived at home. Even though I told myself I wanted to live differently. I kind of liked that new life I had in college. But now I was going to live well, just like I did before. And what Paul's saying is that we're not to do that. We're no longer to conform to that way that we used to live. What we really need, if you will, is for mom and dad to say, you know what, Derek? When you graduate from college, there's not going to be a bedroom upstairs for you. You can't go home. You have to go out and get a real job. You have to go out and get your own apartment. You've been doing it all this time. Continue to do it. Don't fall back into that old way of living. Or as Paul says it, say no to the world. Do not conform to the world. And again, as I know, this is very hard. They did a study once to find out how teenagers deal with peer pressure. And what they, they, found, what they were trying to do is to see, would they crave to peer pressure? Or would they cave? Sorry, not crave, but cave to peer pressure. And so they had an experiment. They had ten teenagers come into a, a room, a classroom, and they had three lines on a chalkboard. And the three lines were of differing lengths. And they asked a simple question. They asked a lot of questions, but the question they really wanted to get at is, what line is the longest line? Now, nine people were told before they walked into that room to choose the second longest line. And so the, the tenth person that came in, who thought everyone else was brand new to it, was they were going to see if that person would go with the second longest line or the longest line. And they found that on most cases, the teenager chose the second longest line. That when that first line went up, they, the teenager raised his hands, and as he looked around, he, he saw no one was answering, and he kind of was funny and put his hand down. And when they all chose the second line, he just sort of said, okay, we'll go with that. We're not to conform to the world. In other words, when you're at work, and you hear the gossip going on at work, talking about your coworker or something else, and they're 
inviting you in to know if you, see if you know anything else about this person. We're not to get involved with it. We're to say no to it. That I'm not going to choose that way of living. We're to go against the grain, if you will, to swim upstream, but to no longer conform to the way of the world. We're to say no to the world, to get out of this sphere of influence. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we literally get out of the world and go live in a monastery or something like that. We're still to stay in the world, but we're not to go along with its way of thinking. So we're to say no to the world and to get out of here and to move over here. To move over here where we can be transformed. Kind of like the, the Transformers. Is that what it was, Matt? The, I, I remember that as a kid. It, it sort of dates how old I am, but I remember when that cartoon came out as a kid and watching the, the Big Mac truck and everything like that. Anyways, um, that word, Greek word, uh, transform, is uh, metamorphoseo which we get the word metamorphosis, and we know what a metamorphosis is, changing from one form to another. Uh, kind of like a caterpillar going to a butterfly. And they say, we're to say no to the world, and yes to God, and to be transformed. To no longer be a form of what we were before, but to be a new godly form. That we are to live in a different way so that people would come up to us and said, you know what, I remember you, Derek, in high school. You're always angry. You're always putting people down. You always had a sarcastic remark. You know what, you've changed. You seem at peace. Instead of putting people down, you're affirming people and lifting them up. What's gone on with you? How did you change? We're to be transformed. We're to change from one form, that form over there, to another. And what Paul says in Romans is that the form that we are to change into will always be the same form. He said in Romans 8, verse 28 and 29, these famous words that many people have memorized. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become become conformed to the image of his Son. So that we're no longer to be part of this, we're to get out of this, say no to the world, and we're to come over here and to to say yes to God and to be transformed. And when we become transformed, we always become transformed into the same thing, into the image of Jesus Christ. That we'll start to look like Jesus Christ. We'll start to love like Jesus Christ. We'll start to, to walk as he did and live as he did. That we're to change and be replicas, if you will, of Jesus Christ, to be the Jesus whom other people meet. And we're to be transformed in order to do that. 
But it seems to me that if we're going to say no to the world and, and yes to God, that if we're going to be transformed, that we can't do it ourselves. You can't transform your life. Something outside of you has to trigger it. Some outside force. I mean, I mean Spider-Man wasn't always Spider-Man. We know he was Peter Parker before he was transformed by that insect, that spider. The Fantastic Four weren't the Fantastic Four. They were just normal scientists before they got transformed by that cosmic radiation up in the, up in the space station. That's the same with us. Not that we're going to be bitten by a spider or uh, transformed in that way or that we'll even become you know, fantastic figures in, in some ways. But there's an outside force that is going to change us. We can't transform ourselves. We can't do it. In fact, Romans, it, what he says in Romans, he uses it in a passive form where he says, but be transformed. He doesn't say transform yourself. He says be transformed. Let someone else do it. And the way he says it happens is by the renewing of your mind. Now you might say, Derek, that sounds a lot like I can do it myself. That if I get disciplined and I put my mind to it, I can change myself. That if I want to change my habits, if I want to change that old way of life, if I put my mind to it and have discipline and work hard at it, I can change it. I know it sounds that way, but it's not really how it works. Because that word renewing is a special word. It's only used one other time in all the Bible. It's used in the book of Titus when Paul writes to Titus. And when Paul writes to Titus, he says this in Titus 3.5. He's talking to Titus. Titus was a, uh, someone who went on missionary journeys and we think he was in Crete. And in 3.5 he says, or 3.4 he starts, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That renewing is that same word of renewing your mind. And what Paul's saying is the only way that you can renew your mind is the Holy Spirit doing it for you. In other words, that when we become change. When our Savior Jesus Christ appeared and he saved us, it says that he washed us with regeneration and he renewed us with his Holy Spirit, that he put his Holy Spirit within us. And that Holy Spirit works in us so that we can say no to the world. It's not us who does it, it's God who does it in us. And we can say yes to God, that we can be transformed because the Holy Spirit is the one transforming us to look like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying in, in Romans 8.28 that I read to you, that God is conforming us into the image of his Son. That's God that's doing it. God the Holy Spirit. So the only way you can do this, to go from this area right here 
to all the way over here is to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And the great thing about it, the way you do it, the way you become like Jesus, is to look to Jesus. A 2 Corinthians 3, Paul again wrote this one as well. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 he says this, But we all, with unveiled faces, he's sort of comparing us to Moses, who came down from the mountain after he had gotten the Ten Commandments. Whenever he came out of the the presence of God, he had to put a veil over his face because he had like an eternal sunburn. And they saw his face, and they saw the light of God in his face, and they said, please put something over your face because we can't stand to look upon you. So that's on our case. He says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, or Jesus here, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It's quite complicated what he's saying, but he's simply saying this, that when we look into the mirror and see Jesus Christ, something happens in us. That the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and starts to make us look like Jesus Christ. That when we look to Jesus, we'll start to look like Jesus. That when we read about him in his word, whether we hear about him uh, preaching, or with others talking about him, we will become like him. We'll become a replica of him. We will become Jesus, if you will. And it's the Holy Spirit doing that in us. So so what he's saying is, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to say no to the world, no longer be conformed, but be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and look like Jesus, you simply look to Jesus. And Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, will somehow, that as you look to that mirror, and as you look at Jesus, you will become like him. You will look just like him. You will walk like him, you will love like him, you will have the same taste and the same desires as him. So Paul says that we're to be sacrifice, uh, make, be a sacrifice. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, I agree with uh, how it was read. That your everyday life, this is how we worship God in our everyday lives, is by sacrificing. And what that means is to say no to this, to say no to the world. To no longer be influenced by this, but to come over here and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is the Holy Spirit, to look like Jesus. Is that what that sacrifice means? Is that how we worship? Well, not yet. We're almost there. Paul's got a little bit more to go. This is one of the problems with Paul, with studying Paul. Is Paul has a lot to say, and he, and he always puts it in one little sentence, so it's quite complicated. It might be like a, a treatise if... If I wrote it, it probably would never, it'd be so complicated that we wouldn't be able to understand it. Because I don't know if I'd understand it, but Paul understood it. And Paul says that after we get out of this and come over here, then something will happen in us. And he says it at the end of verse 2. He says, So that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I think the NIV puts it, then you will be able to test and approve God's 
will. In other words, the only time that we'll be able to approve God's will, to test it and know it, is after we leave here and get over here and be transformed to look like Jesus. Then we'll be able to understand what God's will is in our life. And there's a lot of different translations. Sometimes it says to determine God's will. Sometimes it says to prove God's will or approve or to test. I like how the NIV puts it, to test and approve, because there's two parts to this. He's saying that we'll be able to test God's will. We'll know what God's will is in our lives. That we'll be able to say, that is God's will in this situation. That we'll know it's genuine. That we'll know it's right. We'll know it's God's will. But more than that, we'll be able to approve it. Approving something means to have a favorable opinion of it. It means that not only will we know it's God's will, but we'll actually like it. We'll see it and think it's beautiful. We'll love it. We'll treasure it. So that when we go from here over to here, then we'll be able to say, this is God's will, and I want to do it. That within you, you will have this desire to do God's will. John Piper gives an illustration to help us understand what this word means. He says, you might be able to teach someone how to recognize the traits of gold. To be able to say, this is what gold looks like, this is what it feels like, this is what it looks like in rock form. But never teach the person how much it's worth. And so you could pay that person if this person doesn't know anything. $10 an hour to work in a mine to get gold. And that person could know what gold looks like, could be able to test it, could say, this is gold, and yet hate that gold, because that gold is the bane of his existence. He doesn't know what to do, because all he does is dig up this stupid gold. But to approve means not only to know what it is, but to recognize its worth. And so now that person who's working on the gold all of a sudden realizes that this is pretty good stuff. That this isn't just some rock. This is an expensive rock. This is a rock to be cherished, and I want it. Because you'll love it. And what he's saying is that we'll love God's will. We'll have new tastes and new desires that we won't want to be over here. That will say, I want to be over here. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I hated coffee. My father always drank coffee. And just the smell of it repulsed me. I I couldn't stand the stuff. And I remember the first time I had coffee. Maybe I shouldn't tell it this way. My my roommate, not my roommate, but my next-door neighbor was a, a man by the name of Ben Eng. And Ben had never had coffee before. And by this time, I actually liked coffee. I was drinking coffee. I, I needed uh, milk and sugar in it just to, to get it down, but I, I kind of liked it. Well, Ben had never had coffee before, and so he said to me, you know, Derek, can I borrow you some coffee? I, I, I have a test tomorrow. I said, sure, come on in. And I had a crock pot there, you know, heating up, and I had the Folgers Instant Crystals. And so he took his, like, 16-ounce mug, and he started taking spoons out of the coffee like you do hot chocolate. 
And he started going. And I didn't notice what he was doing until I noticed that he had, there was quite a bit of coffee at the bottom. He had put in eight spoons, he told me. And I, he said to me, is that enough? And I said, yeah, I think that might do. <laughs> so he poured in the coffee and I said, here, you might want some milk and sugar with this because it, you know, it might be a little bitter to you. Well, can I tell you, he was tired before. Half an hour later, he's like got the basketball in our room and he's, like, he's just freaking out. He's like, you want to go play basketball? Cause let, let's go play basketball. He never had caffeine like this before. And he was so wired that he couldn't study the whole night. I saw him the next morning. I was in the shower. I said, did you get some studying done? And his eyes were still wide open. And he's saying, I couldn't concentrate on anything. I had to go for walks, everything. I love coffee now. I used to hate it. But now I love it. I can't wait to get up in the morning and have a nice cup of coffee and to read God's Word. And what Paul is saying, that when we say no to this, and we say yes to God and become transformed by the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to say, I love God's will. I want to do God's will because that's what's aching up inside of me. That is my new desire. To be like Jesus. To live like Jesus. To love like Jesus. And that is our sacrifice. That is how we respond to God's mercy. That is how we live in everyday life and how we worship. By saying no to this and saying yes to this. And then we learn to love and enjoy God's will. You you could put it another way, that what God wants to do in us is this. He wants us to love and enjoy God's will. But in order to do this, he has to start with us all the way over here and say, don't be conformed to the world. Learn to say no to it. And come over here. Come over here because this is where the real work happens. And be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that you'll be just like Jesus Christ. And being just like Jesus Christ, you will love to do God's will. In other words, we worship God by cherishing His will. That the way we worship in everyday life, the way we give the sacrifice, the way we respond to God's mercy, is by cherishing, enjoying God's will. And we'll be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here He is. He didn't want any part of it. Remember, He's just he's struggling with it. He's saying, Lord, if there's any way, that if there's any way, if there's any single way that you can come up with that, that I can get rid of this cup, would you do it? But not my will, but your will. And he said, may your will be done in me. That's what he wanted most in his life, is to do his Father's will. And that only came after he said no to this and yes to his Father. Cherish God by, or worship God by cherishing His will. Many of you have heard of Stephen Arterburn and, is it Fred Stoker? The two men, they got caught up in pornography earlier in life. And not only were they caught up in pornography, they looked at women the wrong way, they just degraded women in a lot of different ways, and they, they couldn't get rid of it. 
And finally they had enough and they gave themselves to God. And they talk about this in, in their famous book, Every Man's Battle. And they said, God, would you transform me? Would you make me different? And what happened was this. They said no to this and they came over here and let God work. And once they got over here, they found something out. They found not only that they didn't do it anymore, but they couldn't stand what it looked like over there. That it wasn't that they just said, oh, I'm not doing this anymore and I'm glad I'm not doing it. It's that they wanted no part of this. They didn't miss it at all. But they loved being over here. They loved doing what was right in God's eyes. They loved God's will. We worship God by cherishing his will. I'm sure you can sympathize with this, that it's hard to share God's love to friends and neighbors, to co-workers. It's, it's not an easy thing to do to share about how much Jesus loves us and what we do on Thursday nights. And I think part of the reason for that is, is partly our own uh, fears, but also because we believe what the world says, that it's not right to talk to others about religion. It's not right to talk about Jesus in the workspace or in the neighborhood. We can talk about everything else. Believe me, we can talk about everything else, just not Jesus. You mentioned the name of Jesus is a big swear word all around. Well, Karen and Todd decided to buck that trend. They said, I'm not going to worry about that. But I'm going to listen to God who says I'm to go out and to speak to my neighbors. And they have. And they've started witnessing to their neighbors. And wouldn't you know it, a woman started coming to faith. A woman who had gone through so much started to come to faith because they decided, I'm not going to give in to those fears, but I'm going to go over here and do what your will is. And now all they want to do is to serve God in that way, in that community. Your very own JT does the same thing. He's not here, so I can talk about him and why he's not here. And and I'm sure he'll hear this and he'll talk to me about this afterwards. But he has this thing called soup with the shoops. You probably heard about it. And I've been there. And what he and Mary do, do is they provide soup. It's really not about the soup. It's about working those relationships with those people around them so that they can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's getting out of the spaces, getting out of the homes and getting into real lives and loving people where they are and giving them the gospel of Jesus. We worship God by cherishing his will. And the best way that we can learn about his will, the best way we can cherish him is by doing something like encountering or encounter with God is by reading his word. There's no other discipline that I know of that does more in the life of a Christian. I've been blessed to be reading God's word every day for 16, 17 years now. That to every day I get up, my wife knows exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go in a certain chair. I'm going to grab my cup of coffee because you know I love coffee and I'm going to read God's word. Because God's word does something in us. It is only through God's word that we can read about Jesus.
that we can see who he is and then be like him. But it's in God's word that something happens within us. David talks about it in Psalm 19. He says this. He gives us what God's word does in us. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. In other words, when we read God's word, it will restore our soul. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, that it will make us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It will make our heart rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It will help us to see what God wants us to see. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And he says this, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, when you start to read this, when you start to spend every day encountering God, then something will happen with you. Your eyes will be opened and you will behold wondrous things about Him and about what He asks of you. Because you won't be involved with this anymore. You'll learn to say no to it because God's Spirit will give you the strength to do it and you'll come over here, you'll be transformed by God and you'll cherish, you'll love, you will treasure what God wants to do in your life and what you are called to do in your life. And the best way to do it, get up every morning or every evening whenever you want to do it and encounter God. Read God's Word. And he'll do that work in you, changing you from the inside out. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves. But you work in us that which we cannot, which we cannot do. That you help us to no longer conform to the world, but you transform us by your Holy Spirit. You do all the work, Lord. But Lord, we want to just put ourselves in that place for you to work. We want to look upon the face of Jesus and be made like him. We want your Holy Spirit to fill us. That we would long, that we would cherish, that we would desire your will above everything else. Lord, make us a people hungry, thirsty, panting, longing to do your will in our lives. Lord, we want to worship you every day of our lives. We want to show our worship in our living, in our daily living. We ask that you would do this in us. We pray this in the strong, great, awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you're going to leave this place tonight, and you're going to have a little critique about my sermon, I'm sure, on the way home, and you're going to say whether you liked it or not. Uh, but don't worry about that. I don't care what you think about my sermon. Oh, I do care, but not, not in that way. What I really care about is that you go from this place and that you dig deep into his word. You find out who he is, not just about getting around and talking about him, but really getting into his word to encounter with God, to go, it would be the best three bucks you ever spent. A dollar a month, just to, to get this little devotional, to read with others God's words, so when you get together in small groups, 
you can talk about what you're hearing God tell you in this past week. And so go from this place longing to do His will. No longer doing what the world wants you to do, but being transformed by Him. Go from this place and live to the glory of His name. Have a great night.